What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Bleeding B&G Podcast, episode 85. So I guess you could call this our Vernon Davis episode, or our Leonard Hagerson episode, dare I say, or our Darnarian McCants episode. Rather obscure number for the Washington, you know, Redskins Commander football team franchise. But enough of that, let's get into the nitty gritty, um, because your boy, your boy was boots on the ground in Ashburn today. At the Washington Commanders, day two of their official um, training camp, uh, actually day one, day two of their official training camp, but this was actually the first live practice that was open to the media and fans alike. So, you know, us over here at Bleeding B&G, we had to put our boots on the ground and give you our raw analysis and the latest updates from training camp. So, before we get too far into this episode, if you're checking us out on YouTube, be sure to comment, be sure to like, be sure to subscribe, as I've always said. Let's finesse these algorithms so that whenever you're searching anything Washington Commander, Bleeding BNG is that number one content hub um, in your search bar when you're hitting up that YouTube, when you're hitting up your, your Apple Podcasts, your Spotify platforms. So let's go ahead and finesse these algorithms. And we're about 70% to 1K. And like I said in my last couple of episodes, guys, I have a special surprise for one of my lucky surprises when we get to 1K. Can't give it away yet because let's get to 1K first so I can give you guys um, that Special surprise, because I promise you, nobody else in the Washington Washington Commander content community is doing what I'm doing for this 1K giveaway. Um, but that's enough of me, um, as, a, to, as I do um, for all of my episodes, to give you a timestamp. Today is Thursday, July 27. It's about 7 p.m. And as I mentioned, your boy was boots on the ground at Ashburn today at Commander's Park. And yeah, uh it, it was it was a sight to behold. It was a sight to behold. So let me get into the nitty-gritty of our day. Let's get into the start of our day. So they're doing something different this year where they're offering um, free parking at Dulles Town Center. And when I pulled up the uh, and they were going to be running shuttles from Dulles Town Center back and forth to Commanders Park. And when I pulled up to uh, Dulles Town Center today, to my surprise, and we were early, the, the parking lot was packed. The parking lot is packed, and if you go and check over my Twitter, guys, I mentioned that the fan base is alive. Like, that ownership sale has woken up a sleeping giant. The the, the parking lot was packed at 7.30 this morning. I'll be sure to put a picture up for my YouTube fans to see as well um, over here on the video. But it was a beautiful sight to see. It was a beautiful sight to see um, because it's something that I haven't seen. I don't even think that I saw that in Richmond in 2021 where we had the space. I damn sure didn't see it in 2022 when camp was held exclusively in Ashburn. Um, so, you know, the shuttles were running back and forth. Um, and it was a it was a huge, huge turnout, um, one that I didn't necessarily expect, but one that the organization can't have expected either. Um, because before I get into the nitty gritty of practice, I gotta I gotta talk my shit real quick, guys. I gotta get on my rant. Um, Josh Harris, I love you to death. And I know this isn't a U issue. You know, you just bought the team a couple of days ago. We gotta get the logistics on this shuttle done better. We gotta get the logistics on this shuttle done better. As I mentioned to you before, or as I mentioned in the last episode, one of my biggest issues um, with Dan Snyder was that as my with my three years being a season ticket holder, I didn't feel special. I didn't feel like, you know, I was getting, you know, the 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 product or the benefits of my investment. And, you know, I've been mentioning lately that this is one of the worst investments I've made in the last couple of years because I'm getting treated like a like a regular general general population fan, right? And I'm not trying to say that to put me on a hierarchy hierarchy or 
anything like that. But let's be let's be real. Like I am putting in a lot more money than somebody that's putting in zero point zero dollars just to watch their favorite team on TV. I appreciate all types of support, but support comes in different ways, different monetary values, and things like that. So if you're listening to this, Josh Harris, um, and which you probably aren't, man, scratch that. Which you probably are. Um, we got to get the logistics on that bus better. Um, and as I mentioned before. You got to cater to your season ticket holders. Those are the people that have shown you that they're dedicated and are willing to put, you know, their money where their mouth is. So if you got to do something like a gold ticket member bus um, on those free shuttles, um, and if the general population fans or the people that don't spend as much money as I do into the team feel some type of way about it, then so be it. But something has to be better than what was ran today. Um, like I mentioned before, I got to Dallas Town Center at about 8 o'clock, which was an hour before practice. And I didn't, I, I missed the beginning of the practice. I didn't see the stretch, uh, the stretching. Um, and I didn't see the first initial part of individuals, which irks us because you know we love to have boots on the ground and see everything overhead bleeding BNG. But let me go ahead, let me get off my soapbox because that shit was ass. And hopefully. Come Saturday, when you guys are expecting 10,000 people, I'm going to need way more than three cheese buses to be running. Legit cheese buses. It literally said school bus in the back. I felt like I was going to first period. Felt like I was going to homeroom. We got to do better than that. We got to do better than that. And that almost, that almost spoiled a, a rather pleasant day. Uh, but let's get into what made that day so pleasant. And let's get into the football that we saw once we finally got to Commander's Park. So let's start with the man of the hour, Sam Howe. Guys, Sam Howell's a baller. Now, like I say always, this is training camp. The guys haven't had, they haven't put on pads. I think they finally put on pads on maybe Sunday, I believe. Um, so they're in, you know, jerseys and shells and things like that right now. But it's evident. It's evident that Sam Howell is here to play. And he's not giving that job to Jacoby Brissett anytime soon. Like I said, you're going to take it with a grain of salt because you're not going to take, you know, a great performance and take it too high and hold it up too high of a standard. Or you're not going to take a horrible performance and hold it at too low of a standard. But I'm the same guy that watched, you know, Ryan Tannehill in Richmond in 2021 and then the ass that I saw from Carson Wentz in 2022. And this one day that I saw from Carson, from Sam Howe, Easily shitted on both of those performances that I saw. I saw about a week long from Ryan Tannehill. And I was up there damn near every day last year at training camp. You guys know. And I never saw a day from Carson Wentz that was as good as this day from Sam Howell. And like I said, let's take it with a grain of salt. They were in shells. You know, helmets, jerseys, and things like that. But some of the things that, you know, you can just see with your own eyes that are evident. The arm strength is evident. The arm strength is evident. This is a guy that, and it looks kind of funny because this is a guy that's coming from a, a six foot stature. And, and if Sam Howell's six one, like his re, like his reasons on his on the back of his baseball on the back of his football card and things like that, then I get, I guess I'm I'm seven foot three. Because no way that Sam Howell's six one, but guess what? He has a howlister of an arm of a guy like six six, and it was evident all day today. Um, he started off the individual session as I mentioned. That's when I got there, just casually throwing. 40, 50 yard bombs off his back foot. It, it was just casual. He was just floating back, running, la 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 la. And you know, it's individual, so you know, they're not necessarily going live and things like that. He's really focusing on his footwork and things like that. But he was just sitting back and just as a flick of the wrist, the ball was shoom. It sounded like he needed one of those sound effects once it was leaving his hands. Like, like you know, like a rocket taking off, like shoom. 
That's what the ball looked like jumping out of Sam Howell's um, aunt hand today. And it was evident all practice. Um, as I mentioned, that was him in the individual drills, just casually lofting 50 and 40-yard bombs through the flick of the wrist. But it was something that, you know, carried on throughout the 7-on-7, the 11-on-11 sessions. And it's something that I'm expecting to see um, throughout the rest of the summer. Because if it's one thing that we know about Sam Howe, despite what you felt up about him coming out of um, North Carolina, we know that that arm strength is real. Go look at his velocity numbers in the senior bowl. Go look at his velocity numbers from the combat. The arm strength is real, no matter what stature it comes from. He has special arm talent in terms of arm strength. It's something that we haven't seen here since the likes of Robert Giffen III. As far as arm strength, as far as arm strength, and it's something that I love to see from Sam. He seems to be taking practice Super serious. He seemed to be taking practice super serious. So um, at the back half of the uh, individual portion of the practice, it seemed like the receivers were running more exotic routes. So routes that are in the playbook but aren't necessarily your typical slant, your typical comeback, your typical go ball and things like that. They were running more exotic routes like overs, stop and go overs, stop and goes, double moves and things like that. And one thing that I saw with Sam is that he was really peculiar with working on his footwork to time uh, to time up with those routes, especially those more exotic routes. You can see once he make a throw, he'll kind of like like make the beats and make the head nods and like uh, timing the tempo out of the route uh, in between reps and things like that. So he took practice real serious today, real peculiar, and it's something that you know just runs with you know the interview that we saw after day one of training camp when he mentioned the likes of like yeah I loved quarterback that was a great show but it's not something that I would necessarily look at doing this year um you know taking it taking away from you know as much time as he needs to put into the playbook but i was super excited to see that and like i said it goes along with the the lines of the press conference that he had yesterday where he's like man i pretty much know the playbook i know where everybody else needs to go and you know a person can talk the talk but it seems that he is walking the walk um as i mentioned before the theme of the day is sam howe's arm strength because that's something that that, that, that was the talk of the day. Anybody that was up Ashburn at Commanders Park today, they'll tell you that if, if, if there was one underlying trend or one trend of today's practice, it was Sam Howell's Armstrong because that was evident. When I tell you that he squeezed on the first rep of the 707 session, he squeezed a ball into um, a tight window in between, you know, Cody Barton and Khalid Hudson to Brian Robinson Jr., who was running the angle out. When I tell you there was zero margin for error on that throw, the window was this big. The window was this big, and I don't know how he fit that ball in, but it was, like I said, it was the first play of 7-on-7s, seven so the, the, the practice wasn't, wasn't dead per se, but it wasn't as ratcheted up as it got to be towards, you know, the 7-on-7 seven seven session and the 11-on-11. 11 11. That was the first play it woke everybody up. And I think even your most casual fan was like, whoa. Like, how did that ball get there so fast? And this is a short, you know, six, seven, eight-yard route. But these are the routes where, you know, the, the, the arm strength is clear, not just the, the, the flies and the deep balls and things like that. Once he threw that Texas route in between those defenders, those – Cody Barton, Khalid Hudson did not stand a chance. Now I don't, I don't, 
I I don't care what you may think about those two defenders, but Bobby Wagner went. Bobby Wagner and Fred Warner went and had a chance at that ball. The velocity that um, Sam Howell put behind that one, and it's like I said, the arm strength was something that was evident all day. Um, in the second seven on seven session that they had in the um, the red zone, so they had a, a seven on seven session when they were utilizing the full field, and then the ones came back out for a seven on seven session when they were in the back of the end zone. Um, and he rolled out. Um, there was good coverage initially, um, but don't think that there was a uh, coverage sack or anything per se. He just rolled out and he fired a rocket of a shot to uh, De'Ami Brown in the back of the end zone who was getting plastered all over by the DB. The DB just so happened to have his head turned. And before he could turn around to make a play on the ball, the ball was in De'Ami Brown's hands. Um, like I said, the, the, the arm strength is evident. Man, I'm going to need my man Sam to have at least a 95 throw power on his first update. Y'all gave him a 93 last year. I don't know how he went down this year after you saw that beautiful ball he threw to Terry McLaurin in week 18. We got to fix that shit, man. We got to fix that shit. Now, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you guys are being prejudiced against my man size because he is built like a fire hydrant. But guess what? The ball goes. The ball goes. He can throw the ball through a car wash without getting it wet. I seen it with my own eyes. I seen it with my own eyes. But getting back to De'Ami Brown, man, the Sam Howell and De'Ami Brown connection is apparent and it's evident. As I mentioned before, when you heard Albert Breer mentioning it in his sports in his Sports Illustrated article, making national news, I'm like, why is De'Ami Brown even making national news? <clears throat> so I was skeptical of it a bit. <clears throat> I'm like, are the commanders just trying to, you know, boost this trade value to ship him off? You know, in the middle of camp, like we see other teams do, um, and you know, a player isn't living up to expectations and things like that. Um, but then I looked at it on the other side, like, no, Ron might really believe him, uh, believe in Deami Brown this year. And after seeing today's practice, I am, I am a full believer in a Deami Brown breakout season for you know year three. Now, I don't think that he's going to break the top three. Um, you know, in the depth chart as far as Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson, and Terry McLaurin. But I think that he's going to provide that deep deep ball downfield receiver that gets you what, two, three deep shots a game that averages about 18 to 21 yards per catch and doesn't necessarily put up huge yardage and things like that, but it's somebody that's essential to the game plan, somebody that can take the top off of deep defenses so that you can open it up for a guy like Brian Robinson, open it up for a guy like Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel to run those intermediate routes. While I do think that Terry McLaurin can present as a deep threat himself, you still want him to be that primary X guy um, taking uh, – uh, taking on, you know, the one-on-one -on -one challenges, um, being on the boundary and things like that. So I'm adding another speeder, a speedster in De'Ami Brown would just put the cherry on the cake, would, put, would just put the icing on the cake, the cherry on top. Excuse me. And I feel even better about, you know, my this or that segment I had with the man, the myth, the legend, Rio Robinson. Where we were predicting who was more likely to go over 500 yards in cold turning De'Ami Brown. I feel even more in my, in my assumption of De'Ami Brown after watching this practice. Even though, even though us over here at Bleeding B&G are the ones that coined the term De'Ami Brown, just be out there running around, he might not be out there just running around anymore. I saw some routes today. Like, okay. All right, De'Ami, maybe you putting that YouTube show to work. Maybe you ain't just for the YouTubes. Because I was starting to believe you was becoming a content creator football player. You need to go over there with destroying and things like that. But maybe... After seeing after seeing today, you can stick in the NFL just a tad bit longer. Now let's see what you got for the season. Now going to our running backs, guys. I don't know what it is, 
Brian Robinson Jr. is a lean, mean running machine. He dropped so much weight from, you know, this past season. This is a guy, I think, around the combine, he rated in around about 230. And, you know, he's big. He's got about a 6'2 frame. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's near, still near that 230 number, but he doesn't look anything like it. He doesn't look anything like it. He's noticeably slimmer. Like his arms are smaller, his sides are smaller. And I'm cautious of that. Because one thing that made Robinson so special last year was that he was able to run through a through a motherfucker's face, right? You know, he was able to drag the pile six, seven, eight yards. And I don't think that, you know, shedding weight is beneficial to that portion of his game. But let me tell you now, he did exhibit a burst today that I haven't seen from Brian Robinson. Not on his film in Alabama. Not during the preseason, during training camp last year. Pre-shooting. Not after the shooting. Brian Robinson looked like he was running a 4-3 today. The shit, the shit was crazy. Brian Robinson looked like he was running a 4-3 today. The shit was crazy. Now, I know he might not actually run a 4-3, but, you know, with the with the, with the the weight loss and, and, you know, him just being excited to be back on the field, he was out there flying around, and it was excited to see. He's clearly the RB run on this roster, uh, and he's clearly the guy that's going to dominate the early downs. Uh, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if this is for all my fantasy experts out there. Don't be surprised if Brian Robinson has about a 1,300-yard rushing season. Don't be surprised if Brian Robinson has about a 1,300-yard rushing season after I saw today. And not only just with the rushing, but his hands are uber soft. Something that I never saw at the University of Alabama. But as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, if you noticed um, watching you know, De'Ami Brown's work um, YouTube channel when he was working out with the rest of the team, Brian Robinson showed some hands then. He was catching passes out the wheel route and things like that. And it's something that I noticed in the video that dropped last week. And it's something that I really wanted to pay attention to today. And it translated today. Like I said, he caught that Texas route um, in between Barton and Hudson, which a lot of backs wouldn't catch because, you know, the, the time that he was able to visually see the ball because it's working in between two 230-pound guys um, and to able to make a play on the ball, that's something that a lot of running backs who aren't natural uh, pass catchers, um, they had trouble making that type of catch. But he caught it, took it in stride, caught it upfield. There was another play where there was uber window dressing. Um, you know, Terry McLaurin did a whip motion out the backfield and things like that. Um, Curtis uh, Samuel had already initially lined up in the backfield, offset with Brian Robinson. And after all the motions and after all the window dressing, Brian Robinson was just wide ass open in the seam. Um, and he made a play on the ball um, with some natural hand catching there as well. Um, so as I mentioned, um, not much from the running backs. Um, Antonio Gibson didn't do much um, today. Um, now, I don't know if that's, you know, precautionary, because if you guys have noticed, um, a lot of those turf toe injuries that Gibson suffered throughout the entirety of the season also um, tend to happen during training camp. So I don't know if they're being precautionary with him going into the season, or I don't know if just Brian Robinson is taking over, taking over the full realm as, you know, the dominant guy in that running back room. As far as the rest of the running backs, um, Jared Patterson looked decent. You know, our guy, our family, Jared Patterson, he actually made a super catch on Jamin Davis um, when the twos were running in the 7-on-7 session in the end zone on a wheel route. Um, he cooked Jamin Davis' ass, um, if I'm being quite frank. But, guys, uh, and I hate to be pessimistic, I am super skeptical of Chris Rodriguez Jr. Super skeptical. 
Now I was questioning the pick when we when we drafted him in the sixth round because you know we were more of the proponent of drafting more of a scat back and things like that. And then the mini camp came, and you know you've seen the video. You've seen the video. We got over three three thousand views on that video. He was he was fucking up the ladder drill with the running backs um, in the in the mini camp um, on the ladder drill and things like that. I honestly think that was the video where the team actually came over like, yeah, can you not post that? Um, so he hasn't had the super strong off this. He hasn't had a super strong off season in my eyes, um, and that continued today. Uh, and he didn't do anything, you know, necessarily extraordinarily bad or nothing that stuck out. It's just that I noticed that he is the slowest running back on the roster. By by far. By far. He's the furthest thing from a scat back, and that's something that we want that I personally wanted in the draft. Um he's a plotter. He was running on air um with the threes and things like that, and they were running like a stretch zone. It took him forever to get to the hole. And then when he cut it up, and you can tell he's trying because you can hear him grunting like <laughs> you know that grunt people do when they when they want you to think that they're working hard. And he was just 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 taking up about one yard of stride. Uh, it was it was very slow. Gave me gave me real fat Rob Kelly vibes. But the difference between Rob Kelly is at least he was decisive in hitting the hole until, you know, the the Last couple of games in his career, well, I don't know what the fuck that was from Rob Kelly, but Chris Rodriguez is giving me big Rob Kelly vibes, and I'm I wouldn't be surprised if he's a surprise cut um, working towards the end of camp because Jonathan Williams and um, Jared Patterson, in my eyes, clearly look better than him today. Um, the receivers were the receivers; they're typical. They're going to be good. Um, Dotson, McLaurin, Samuel, Diami making plays. Um, as I mentioned, De'Ami Brown was the guy that really stole the show today. Um, they didn't necessarily make a lot of plays in the 11-on-11 session um, because they didn't really get an opportunity to, and I'll touch more on that later. Uh, but in the 7-on-7 session, they were working extremely well. The tight ends as well. Um, I think that Sam Howell didn't have an incompletion until his fifth rep. Um, and the tight end, um, of the tight ends, uh, Cole Turner, Logan Thomas, and Terry McLaurin were uh, particularly effective in that first 7-on-7 session when they were working the entire field. Um, you know, Sam Howell was just taking what the defense gives him. A lot of, you know, curl routes from the inside, option routes and things like that were completed to Cole Turner, Logan Thomas. And, you know, you go with my philosophy, my football philosophy, especially on offense, you can't go broke taking a profit. So a lot of those six, seven-yard gains are going to open it up for the Diami and the Terry McLaurin bombs. Um, so to see that the ball didn't hit the ground too much on the 7-on-7 seven seven session um, was a sight to behold. Um, and it was beautiful to see because it shows that, that Sam isn't going to, you know, force the, the bad decision pressing, thinking that, you know, he has to do it all in hopes of, you know, keeping his job as the franchise quarterback, franchise quarterback or as QB1. As I mentioned, um, they didn't really do too much in 11 on 11. They didn't get a chance to. But I will mention this. Terry McLaurin absolutely torched Emmanuel Forbes on a 50-yard bomb. He absolutely torched Emmanuel Forbes on a 50-yard bomb. And the beautiful thing about that is not only he torched Emmanuel Forbes, because that's not the surprising part. Emmanuel Forbes is a rookie. He's going to take his lumps. Terry McLaurin burns all pro CBs all the time. But the best thing about that rep is that we had a quarterback that got it to him in stride. Terry McLaurin caught that ball like this. And could have ran into the end zone if he wanted to. It was a beautiful pass. It was a beautiful pass from Sam, Sam Flick and the wrist how. 
I think we got a new nickname. I'm going to call him Sam. Look at the flick of the wrist. How? Look at the flick of the wrist. Look at the flick of the wrist. My OT Genesis fans out there. Um, but yeah, that was the most exciting thing about that rep. I'm not surprised about Terry burning corners. I'm not surprised about Emmanuel Foles getting burnt as a rookie because guess what? Other than that, he had a super, super solid practice. And I'm going to touch that, touch on that when we get into the defense as well. Um, as I mentioned before, the receivers and the tight ends didn't have a lot of chances in 11 on 11. And that's because the offensive line was getting their ass whooped all game, all practice, excuse me. Especially the left side. Let me be the first to tell you on today, Thursday, July 27th, 2023, I'm officially worried about this offensive line again. Let me tell you right now, the left side of this offensive line might be the worst starting left side of an offensive line in the NFL. Charles Leno fucking sucks. Charles Leno is not that guy. And the thing is, he's probably a better player than Sadiq Charles, but the organization isn't out there holding up Sadiq Charles in the highest light. Like he's prime Jim Lachey, like he's prime Joe Jacoby, like he's prime Trent Williams, like he's prime Chris Samuels. In the first play of the 11 on 11 session, and I'm going to drop it here on the video, Chase Young fucked Charles Leno up and was sitting in Sam Howell's lap. And that just proved to be a microscope of what we were going to be seeing all, all, all practice. All practice. Now, John Allen was fucking Sadiq Charles up too. I expect that though. He was whipping Sadiq Charles' ass all over Ashburn. I expect that though. I expect that though. Now, I did like what I saw from the right side, specifically Nick Gates and Samuel Cosme. Um, they had a play where they were running on air where Antonio Gibson ran like a backside screen uh, against the offset trips look. Um, and <laughs> Samuel, uh, Sam Cosme and Nick Gates looked like they was running sub, four, sub 540, sub 5 second 40s out that motherfucker, racing each other. And that's something that we could we didn't even get an inkling of last year with old ass Andrew Norwell and old ass Trey Turner that belonged in the retirement home that ran like they had bad hips. It was beautiful for, to see from Nick Gates and um, Samuel Cosme. And to close it out with for the offense, man, uh, Eric Bieniemy is the head coach of this team. <laughs> it's clear as day. I didn't hear Ron Rivera's mouth not once today. I heard Eric Bieniemy's mouth the entire ninety minutes. Um, and one thing that I mentioned on my Twitter is that there was a um, there was a, a couple play span where you know Terry McLaurin uh, ran a reverse. Um, not only did he trip, he fumbled as well. Uh, the defensive line was just kicking our ass. That was damn near every play. And then we had a couple of false starts. And after the last false start, Eric Bieniemy said, "Get their ass off the field." And I promise you, the ones the first team, this was with the starting unit. The first team didn't see the field for another about seven minutes of real time which is a lot of practice reps if you guys have ever been to an NFL practice. So they missed a lot of time. And um, when I mentioned it on Twitter, some people were like, man, that's going to wear thin and things like that. Fuck that. Fuck wearing thin. Thank God that I finally have a coach that's going to hold these people accountable. I'm tired of having low standards for this team. And let me tell you who I don't have low standards for, and that is this defense. 
didn't before today and after watching this practice, they didn't do nothing but validate it. As I mentioned, the defensive line was fucking the offensive line up all practice. Now, I would I would I would be naive and I would and I hate to fail to mention that right now these 11 on 11 drills um, are set up for the defense to win, especially without pads. Um, because you can't grab, you can't hold, and things like that. And a, def uh, a good defensive lineman can just beat you with handwork and things like that. So right now, these drills are set up for the defensive line to win. But guess what? They doing it. They doing it. I've seen defensive linemen losing these type of settings. And keep in mind, this is all without Deron Payne, who missed his second consecutive day with a, a toe injury. So I hope that he comes back um, better than ever. Um, and as soon as possible, but like, if you really think that we're going to be contenders, and I know we said this for years and years on end, years and years on end, the biggest reason and the biggest belief and the biggest position group to give you that belief is the defensive line. And let me tell you why, because Chase Young has some of that twitchiness back that made him a generational prospect. Um, I was so excited yesterday in a practice that was closed off to the fans and the media, uh, to the fans and the public, um, but they were posting that Chase Young was not in his knee brace anymore. He's practicing without his knee brace. I was so excited to see that because not playing in that knee brace is simple. Just, just ditching the knee brace alone is going to simply open up so much range of motion and so much freedom of movement in that knee. Uh, and it was evident today. Um Chase looked like the twitchy, twitchiest uh, defensive lineman on the field today. And that's something to say with Montez Sweat, who still runs a 4-4. No matter how twitchy you think he is or, or how, you know, laterally quick he is, Montez Sweat's explosive traits are off the chart. And Chase Young looked more explosive than him today. As I mentioned, in the first play of the 11-on-11 session, he fucked Charles Leno up. And was just sitting there in Sam Howell's lap for what would have been a near sack. Charles Leno overset it, and Chase could have beat him with his trademark bull rush, but he didn't. He didn't. He took an inside hand swipe move to the inside, uh, an inside um, overhand swim move to the inside, something that I haven't necessarily seen from Chase, as I mentioned before. And everybody that's watched Washington for the last couple of years knows Chase just goes to that bull rush. Chase goes to that bull rush, and, you know, the left tackle tends to just sit back, sit back, sit back, and then usually hit him with that hug technique, uh, and his rushes have been rather ineffective. And he could have used that bull rush today because the way that Charles Leno overset it, I I, I truly believe with Chase's um, physical strength, he could have just ran Charles Leno straight into Sam Howell's lap. But he used that overhand swim move uh, and got to the quarterback that way. So he's just showing... Um, you know, a variety of moves. Um, and maybe, you know, working with Larry Johnson um, over the last couple of weeks uh, at Ohio State um, had, was beneficial and can get him to the type of player that we knew him to be coming out of the 2020 NFL draft. Um, as far as some personnel things, um, Benjamin St. Juice was our starting nickel um, with the ones with Emmanuel Forbes and Kendall Fuller on the outside. Um it seems like that's what they're going to be going with during the season. If you guys can remember at the beginning of last season, 
um, St. Juice started in a uh, slot as well um, before, you know, William Jackson struggles and things like that, which is always interesting to me because I think with his physical profile, you know, his, um, you know, short subtle time, his lateral quickness times and things like that, I think that St. Juice has, you know, the capability of being a solid boundary corner. But this this coaching staff seems to love him in that slot role, and I get it. You can catch, you can check, you know, bigger slot receivers um, that play in that slot, like a Traylon Burks and things like that. Or you can check tight ends like a Travis Kelsey, which I understand. But don't forget, you got physical freaks on the outside as well. Um, physical freaks like a DK Metcalf on the boundary receiver, and I think that Benjamin St. Juice is our most, you know, physical. Um, DB to match up as far as skill set for skill set as far in terms of you know just God given uh, you know physical attributes and things like that. But they seem to love him in that slot role, which I'm not too mad at. Um, Cam Curl also played in that slot role as well. Um, those were the only two that I saw running in the nickel positions with the ones and the twos um, during the session. Um, Cam Curl had slid down to that Buffalo nickel role. Percy Butler and Derek Forrest were back deep. Um, so it's something that uh, I expected to see uh, going into the season, but today even more validated that, that we're going to have a lot of exotic looks with a lot of five and six different DB looks um, and with the versatility with guys um, like a Benjamin St. Juice and like a Cam Curl and like a Jartavius Martin. Um, we're going to have a real modern new age defense that I don't think uh, the NFL has seen the likes of um, a lot in previous years. Um, going back to the personnel, Will Barton and Khalid Hudson were your starting linebackers in seven on seven and eleven on eleven. Um, now, don't don't raise your antennas yet, and I want your alarm to go off just yet. Um, remember, Jamin Davis is recovering from off-season knee injury. I mean, off-season knee surgery. Excuse me. Um, while they told us it was minor and more of a cleanup procedure, um, it was a little bit surprising to me that he didn't open up the camp on PUP. Um, so that is a good thing. Um, but please remember, um, these guys are still human, so he still has to work himself into football shape and things like that. So once he's getting the football shape, um, and once he's flying around and been around the guys, um, for, you know, a consistent basis, I think that he'll be running with the ones in no time. Cause he's still our most physically advanced linebacker on the roster, no matter what you think, uh, the mental side of the game. And as I mentioned before, to close out today, um, our first round pick validated why he's our first round pick. Other than getting flamboyant by Terry McLaurin, um, Emmanuel Forbes had sticky coverage all day. And as I mentioned before, not only did the receivers didn't get a chance in 11-on-11 um, because of the defensive line, but Emmanuel Forbes is that type of corner that I call him a route eliminator um, because he's the type of corner that sits on a lot of routes because he has a lot of faith in his speed and he's not afraid to get beat deep. So he's jumping a lot of these routes and he's eliminating a lot of these comeback routes, a lot of these double moves and things like that because once you make that first move, he's right in the hip pocket and it forces the quarterback to look another way. Um, so that'll do it for today's episode. Uh, coming to you live, boots on the ground from training camp. Um, so hopefully, hopefully you guys can take this information with you um, and run with it. Um, I hope that I gave you guys some gems, some nuggets that uh, the rest of the media and the content creators didn't give you. And I appreciate you guys tuning into this episode of the Bleeding B&G podcast. As always, as always, if you're not following our social media pages, be sure to tap into those pages. Our Instagram is at Bleeding B&G. That's B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G, B-N-G. 
So there's two G's in our Instagram handle. Our Twitter handle is spelled a tad bit different. That one is at Bleeding BNG, B-L-E-E-D-I-N. BNG, so there's only one G in our Twitter handle. Be sure to hey follow us on Twitter, man. We got about 150 followers today because guess what? We're giving you the most raw, unfiltered, the the best analysis. Man, forget the rest of them disclaimers. We're giving you the best analysis over there um, on the Washington Commanders over there on the bird over there on X. I'm sorry, it's not Twitter anymore. It's X. So go ahead, and follow us on X slash Twitter at Bleeding BNG. Um, if you're checking us out on our uh, audio-only platforms such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts, please sure to leave a rating. Please sure to leave a review. Let's finesse those algorithms as well as that YouTube. Be sure to like. Be sure to comment. Be sure to subscribe because, hey, football is here now. Football is here now. There's no more. Football is right around the corner. I can't wait for football season. It's here. It's back. It's in full force. And Bleeding BNG is in in. And even bigger full force. So be sure to be tapped into our page for the latest content because we're coming heavy and harder than ever. Um, I'll check in on you guys later. Peace.